Jacques Howard, I'm on location at Champs, 931 Chambers Street. I'm in the back area um, that is adorned with lots of art, um, aerosol art, etc. And uh, I'm with Midnight Helion, and I'm with lead singer Barbara Blackthorne and bassist Rich Kubik. And other part of the rhythm section, drummer, and what I'm going to say, the backbone <laughs> of the band. <laughs> Drew Rizzo. Awesome. So Drew, why don't you talk a little bit about the history of Midnight Helion, but before you do, uh, I want to publicly say that when I said, who's that band rehearsing in the back? They were like, oh, Midnight Helion. They're here all the time. Like, you don't know Drew? And I was like, no, I don't think I ever met him. And then the conversation proceeded to be like 15 minutes of gushing about Drew and his commitment to the scene, his commitment to Midnight Helion, um, and how nice of a person you are all the time. And this is from Drew Glenn, you know, who is someone like a go-to person, someone whose opinion I trust. So when he was telling me, and I was like, I got to know these guys. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the history of Midnight Helion. Uh, well, we started April 4th in 2011. Um, I had recently parted ways with a previous band, actually another Trenton band called Horrifier, and uh, took about a month off to reorganize and got together with the bassist of Horrifier, and we started writing some music. And um, within a few months, we recruited a bunch of friends and um, recorded our demo cassette on um, starting September 2011, released actually here at Champs on uh, November 17th or 14th, I forget which one offhand in uh, 2011 when we were opening up for Obituary. Thirst, it was our third show ever. Great turnout, lots of fun altogether. Uh, right after that, we went right into the studio and recorded our follow-up EP, Enter the Unknown. Did a tour for it in 2012, covering the East Coast with uh, Prime Evil, a recently reactivated death metal band from the New York scene. <laughs> uh, and after that, we started getting away, did our seven-inch single, uh, Hour of the Wolf, and now we are in pre-production right now for our brand new full-length album. We're actually going to be working with Len Carmichael. He's played with, um, what's the name of that band? Uh, Big Rig, which features Pat Henry and um, Justin Gretchen from Swashbuckle. So local guy, done tons of work for everybody, sicker than most. Swashbuckle, obviously, and many other local artists he's been recording. So we're just kind of going with the Trenton theme yet again. <laughs> now, now that that little uh, monologue was exactly what I was expecting. What <laughs> Drew was, was talking about, he was like, "Yo, he's been in the scene forever. He knows everybody." So what does it mean to to? I mean, obviously, you've got Barbara and Rich, um, who are, I'm not going to say, I don't know how long they've been in the scene, but I would assume by looking at them that they haven't been in the scene as long as you have. What's it, what's it like? What's it like um, working Being the with father a whole new <laughs> Working with a whole new well generation. Said. Honestly, it's great. It's so invigorating having like, the youth in it because it's like they have the drive, they have the motivation, they want to do it. And I've worked with people of all different age groups through various bands. Even within Midnight Hellion, too, we had um, one singer that was about 20 years older than the rest of us. And just his priorities in life were different, but he also came from the old school, which is it, pretty much what we had all listened to, grew up on and everything, so it was a great fit. However, with that, the energy, unfortunately, wasn't always there, as well as the fact of he's a little bit more settled. Mm. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we all had our nine to five jobs and everything, but he had more of a foothold where it's like, okay, well, he just can't 
get up and go to Europe, while the rest of us can, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with the younger generation, the energy, the youthfulness, again, it's great. The creativity, the camaraderie, it's just like it feels like we all known each other for quite some time when it's really only been a few months. Mm-hmm. Like Rich joined the band April... April, oh God. What date um, was this? I think it was April... First show was the 16th, I think. So it was three days before that. Yes. <laughs> First rehearsal, three days before show. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> so that was April 2016? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. you're almost I, I as new to the band as I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, another member is a bit newer. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, what date was that? Uh, officially, it was, I think, September 21st. I think it was the day. So I met Drew back in July. I'm in touch and discuss everything, and then there was a month gap, and that's when I started rehearsing in the band. It was uh, late August, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Actually, we go back further than that. I know, yeah, because you first so, messaged yeah, me yeah, on um, <laughs> the website called Band Mix. He messaged me on, and the first message I think was uh, early 2015. And I wasn't able to get back at the time because I had other engagements, and uh, when I got back that summer, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to do this, and I had vocal cord nodules, mm. so I couldn't do it last summer. But I spent the year doing vocal rest. Uh, I wanted to get better. I wanted to sing again. Um, and then this past summer, I got all healed up. And that's when I uh, messaged Drew. And I was like, I'm ready to do this if you're uh, willing to have me. And that's how it all kind of went from there. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the um, iration of where the band is right now is literally a very, very new band. Absolutely. So what's different about Midnight Helion's sound now that you've got some new members, recent members, um, compared to the previous sound? It still has the core values uh, sound-wise, like we're still rooted in traditional heavy metal with a little bit of speed metal, but their influences aren't exactly the same as mine, where before we had a lot of similar influences among the band members. Well, yes, there were some members that were more into certain genres, like progressive rock than others more, so they'd have more of that element going on. This one, however, it's like, okay, we have still the same common ground band member, bands that we're into, obviously, like the Judas Priest, the Exodus, the Metallica, all that good stuff. That's the most <laughs> obvious. We can't say Maiden, all we can just say. Come on. So is there a chance so, that you're going to have uh, Eddie walking around on stage with you guys, possibly? Well, actually, uh, now that you mentioned it, we were toying with the idea with having a mascot coming out. We have uh, a song called Out with the Wolf, and we have a couple wolf's masks. One Rich has, and one one of our friends has, too. So, okay, let's see what we can do with this. Maybe have a little mascot come out. <laughs> Have a little fun with the audience. <laughs> so, but yes, uh, just back to the main question since I'm a rambler. Um, <laughs> basically, we're um, we all come from different schools, if you will. Where it's like, okay, we all have common grounds, but we all branched out otherwise. Well, for example, Barbara and Jeremy, who's not here tonight, uh, they're both more into like the symphonic metal. It's like, while well, Rich and I both appreciate it, we're not as heavy into that. But like, there's other stuff that they're into as well that we're more into, like Metallica, for example. It's like, both Rich and I love Metallica, and Barbara and Jeremy like it, but not as much. Mm. So it's like, okay, we all have the common grounds. It's like, okay, it really helps a lot with like the writing process and where we come from, too. It's like just integrating different things that, like Barbara might have like an idea. It's like, okay, she heard this one track uh, by Epica, for example. And it's like, okay, it sounds something like this, and it influenced her for this fits in perfectly with something that sounds traditional metal. So it's really cool. It's a lot of fun just coordinating everything. And the band member who's not here, um, Jeremy, can you guys just talk a little bit about him? And so he's a sort of represented? Yes. 
Go oh, ahead, I got, I got this. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've known Jeremy for quite a few years. He's actually how I ended up um, getting to know Drew, getting to be in the band. Um, I was on my way to a Maiden show. <laughs> and I get a call, hey, we got something lined up, but if it falls through, would you be able to try out for bass on this? Okay, all right. So I come in, and Jeremy, he's a pretty quiet guy overall, I'd say, but he's... Uh, Awesome guitarist. Awesome, he speaks through his guitar. Awesome, yeah, he really does. <laughs> he really does. He kicks major butt with that guitar, man. <laughs> it's uh, he's coming from a, a like a he's real big into death metal, like Arch Enemy and mm. stuff like that. And again, the power metal and symphonic metal. Uh, and he he really he does speak through his guitar. Um, but really down to earth guy. Really just. Nice all guy, around generally. He's just all around, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, I got a feeling that, that all four of the band <laughs> members, Drew, you, you, you've picked them because that's that's kind of what you're, you're going to do. You're going to spend time around people who are just like yourself. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, if we can all hang out, and that, that's number one. It's like, talent is second. It's like, talent's great, of course, but if you can't get along with somebody, like, you get somebody like Ingve Malmsteen of a player that just has a bad attitude, horrible work ethic, it's not going to work. You get somebody that's like, okay, maybe... A great player, but not as good as Ingve, for example. But they have the right heart and everything going on. Then it's great. I landed up with the best of both worlds: That's great fantastic. players and great attitudes. Yeah. If, after, after the interview, make sure you remind me to tell you my Ingve Malmsteen story. That's it, it's going it's, it's to blow your mind. It's on record now. We got to do that. Yes. <laughs> so, so Barbara, one of the things um, that I I'm a big diversity guy. Like, I love the fact when, um, I, I've been using this hashtag li lately, makes no sense, and that's the way I like it. So when I have, when I interview artists, especially women artists who are in, and I'm using air quotes, um, a genre that is male-driven, male-dominated, I always want to know the perspective of the female. Um, what's it, what it means, what it's like. Why don't you drill down on that for me a bit? Um, for me, I noticed that, you know, there's, it's definitely there. There's definitely, you know, and there's definitely uh, something like sexism, but I honestly haven't personally experienced too much of it. I've been fortunate that I've worked with, uh, you know, there's none of it in this band whatsoever. I really feel like I'm taken seriously as, as a colleague, as a musician. It's just really fantastic. I really got lucky with these guys. Um, but other than that, just throughout my experience, I haven't really had too many bad experiences. I've had friends who haven't had as good as I have, but I can't really complain too much. Mm. I just go out and I kind of do my thing. I don't think too much about um, what I am or who I am. I just decide, like, I want to sing. I have a performance I want to give. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. People aren't always going to like me, but that's, you know, that they're not going to like me anyway. If that's why, if they're not going like, to like me because I'm a woman, then they're not going to like me no matter what I do. So I, my job as a performer and as a singer is to grab people who are open-minded and who like good music and like good vo vocals, and that's what I strive to do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. I, th I think that's a fantastic answer. And if she and runs into any problems, she has three body parts. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're yeah, man. Frank! Oh, Frank, too. Yeah. Frank's over there. Uh, Frank's and, running merch. Don't, don't, don't forget the headstock on my bass. That thing yeah. will exactly. kill somebody. <laughs> so how does... How does uh, a woman, and, and hear me out while I say this, and I I'm, I'm guess I'm playing devil's advocate. Um, you've got a woman who's attractive, who's in a male-dominated world, so to speak, again, air quotes. Um, it would be easy for 
you to succumb to pressures of sexism or to use your femininity as a tool to further whatever you're doing. How do you how do you navigate that? And how would you tell other women who are trying to make their way in this industry? I would say honestly, I just um, I kind of just I don't hide the fact that I'm a woman. I'm a girl. I like you know. I like singing, I like performing. Part of performing is, for me, I like to look good. So I put a lot of emphasis on my parents. Um, but I also think that if you're the kind of performer, and if you're a female, and that's not your thing, that's fine too. So I think it's really just go for what it, whatever messages you want to share with an audience. If you want to share that, like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to try to adhere to any kind of strict societal standards. That's cool. But I think that if you decide that you want to, utilize more feminine aspects of yourself, I think that's fine too. I think that as long as the musicianship is there and the skill is there, I think it'll be fine. That's fantastic. So. Another great answer. <laughs> she did her homework. <laughs> How did you get her squared away so quickly? <laughs> Regarding the genre of metal, and you guys ran over a couple different things. You like death metal, progressive metal, symphonic metal, and I'm sure there's probably 25 other genres <laughs> tied to it. For the average person who has no idea what the difference is, how would you describe your style and where it fits into all the different genres? Well, that's why we also call ourselves heavy metal, because with that, <laughs> we're not a pigeonhole. <laughs> But we have a lot of different influences. The band started out with a ton of different influences too. Um, whereas like we have one song, for example, called Cross the Line, where it pretty much covers every single influence of every band member at the time. Had a little bit of death metal going on, some of the speed, some thrash, some traditional with melodies and harmonies going on. So, and it's always been clean singing. So that's a big part of it too, where it's like the, um, the vocals are a big part of it. I'd say honestly, where it's like the uh, symphonic singers is like typically have more like the operatic falsetto vocals, mm. uh, but also they some bands also have it, whether it be like a female lead for example with a male uh, co-lead. So it's like some bands like Nightwish for example have a little bit more like the guttural thing going on, although it's still clean singing with a male vocal too. Um, for us though, like I said. Same thing as just like we do what we feel instead of like being pigeonholed. It's like, okay, well, if we're a thrash band, we can only play thrash metal. It's like, no, we want to do whatever we want to do at the time. And it's like the one thing that's always constant is traditional. Mm. So it's like pretty much where the master started it Rainbow, Dio, um, Sabbath, obviously Priest. Combination of Maiden and Priest. Yeah, exactly. It's the easiest, there's the easiest answer because yeah. that covers all your bases. Yeah. <laughs> Description's always been uh, the band's like, oh, how would you describe the sounds? Like, mixture of Judas Priest meets early Overkill. So, like, because over Overkill back in the day had more of the, I guess you could say, the power metal of the time vibe, where it was just more traditional but still had the speed influence. It was like, okay, we have that going on, but we also have the thrashiness to it. And uh, just pure aggression, pretty much, in the sense where it's healthy aggression. Hmm. You know, when I first met you, and uh, we were talking briefly while you were rehearsing here at Champs, um, and you said, yeah, I've got a CD in the car, and you ran out and you got it, and uh, I asked you, I said, you know, is it radio friendly? And I am always telling artists, especially artists who are up and coming, yeah, you might not be interested in the radio scene, 
but you've got to put something out where it can be played on the radio. Absolutely. Please talk about that. <laughs> that was a conscious effort from the beginning. Uh, one of our singers, he wrote a, lyric, a lot of lyrics with a lot of profanity in it. And it's like, you know, you can express yourself more intelligently than that, number one. And number two, it's like, like you just said, if you want to get airplay, you have to be clean. You can't have bleeps here and there every single song. You can't be saying anger, in other words. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, we landed on uh, WSOU earlier this year. And uh, for those that don't know, it's a Catholic school, Seton Hall University, and a Catholic radio station. So the, uh, it's very highly regulated with the FCC regulations. So because of that, it's like, that was one of the markets we wanted to grab, obviously get into, too, because it's the biggest uh, metal station around here as well as around the world where it's like strictly metal format. So, okay, we want to be there. We have to do it. We have to play the game, essentially. And so we don't have to drop F-bombs every 10 seconds to really get our point across. We can use many different words. There's tons of adjectives out there. That's why we all have thesauruses. <laughs> and, and, and I like how you said you can express yourself more intelligently by using different words or phrases. I forget exactly how you put it. And I think more people need to hear that. Because it expounds and expands the artist's mindset. Yeah. Because now the artist has to think, okay, well, instead of saying, F this, how can I say it where it fits better? Exactly. So, so thank you for, for doing that. And I've been listening to, to your, um, your, I guess it's an EP that you, that oh, you yes, gave yes. me. I've been listening to that and... and Again, we'll be playing that next week, and then it'll go into the rotation. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. That's phenomenal. But I, I think that it's, it's more important for especially seasoned artists like yourself to tell the next generation, like, hey, you kind of got to, like, massage this a little bit. You, you can't just flip tables, break glass every gig that you go to because you're going to play one gig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so going forward, what does Midnight Helion have coming down the pike, like short-term and some long-term goals? Uh, if you want to do a three-parter, if you want to take the most immediate. Um, so like my personal plans for, honestly, ideally, I'd like to just be a full-time touring musician. I'd, I'd love for Midnight Helling to turn into a full-time touring band. Um, so I'm in this for the long haul. <laughs> That's got to feel good. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, it's confirmed she's a lifer yep. too. Exactly. <laughs> All right, um, well, honestly, if I could make this my daily job, I would in a heartbeat. It, it's one of the, going out in front of people and, and playing to them and watching them get into the music in general is one of the best feelings in the world. Mm. So if, if I could do that for a living, I would in a heartbeat. So like that, that's where I stand on it. And, and hopefully it gets to that point, you know? <laughs> I echo them completely. Also dad too, like growing up, my, uh, the band that got me into all this was uh, The Who. From uh, My parents are uh, very big into like the 60s, 70s rock. Like My dad went to Woodstock, my mother saw The Beatles. So that's mm -hmm. what I grew up Dang. with. And um, I, my, one of my earliest memories musically was uh, two years old watching a video of Keith Moon. Just destroy the drums. It was like, okay, I set up a toy drum set in the comprising of pillows and like tissue boxes. And in, uh, as he was kicking down his drums, I kicked down my drums. <laughs> it's like, that's what I want to do. Uh, as I got more into music, uh, just like in terms of like learning how to play the instrument properly. <laughs> Rather than kicking it over. Exactly. Well, it was just pillows at that point. Chopsticks <laughs> or drumsticks. But <laughs> hey, it works. Exactly. 
But the um, thing was too, it's like Madison Square Garden is the venue, it's the most famous arena in the world. And growing up around here, the garden is 60 miles away. It's like, it feels so close. You can, you can literally grab the place if you want to, you know? And it's like just getting there, even as an opening act, doesn't matter. If it's saying, we play the garden, You've made it. Yeah, that's the goal. If you play the garden, you've made it. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously, yes, playing the worldwide tours too, definitely. But like the first, I'd say, immediate goal is garden. Great. So like take there. I like that goal. The world. But also on top of that too, we have an awesome, awesome, awesome venue right in town. Used to be the Sovereign Bank Arena, the Sun Center. Another goal too, where it's like this is a great venue, never getting used anymore, except for like the. Um, Disney on Ice events, high school graduations, and once in a while, like Monster Jam. And uh, I haven't been there in many, many years. Um, last time was actually a C38 special in Leonard Skinner. Mm. Not a bad seat in the house, no matter what you do there. It was actually their opening night when they had uh, WWF at the time. Get the F out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is great, blah, blah, blah. My girlfriend and I went to see a wrestling match there uh, back in March, and it's like, you know, I miss this place so much. I've been here in about 10 years. Love to play here. It's like so perfect. It's so close to home. And having events like that would really, really, really help this community. Because you go to any bar in this area, whether it be Hamilton, Lawrence, Trenton, Ewing, there's tons of people into music. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people aren't coming to the clubs. And mm-hmm. just like getting to the point too where it's like, and I understand, people are older, people have bedtimes, a lot of the club shows, headliners going on at 11. And it's like, we can't get a babysitter that late. It's like, but you see an arena show going on, 10.30 curfew. People go mm. for stuff like that. And also not having to fight their way to get to a bathroom. Because mm. <laughs> that's a big, that, big That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, especially for the older folks, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, final two questions. Um, yes. One, I'd like you to, each of you, to talk about the local scene and what it means to have venues like Champs where you can play, where you can rehearse, et cetera. And then I have a next one. one. <laughs> All right, so we'll save you for last. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, you're looking at me. Okay, yeah, Rich, okay. that's on okay. you. Um, well, you see, like, since I don't grow up here, I didn't grow up in this area, so where I grew up, there was literally nothing. There was nothing. This is awesome. I love this. If I could have grown up here, like this area in general, um, just the, the sense of community at this bar specifically, it, it's nothing like anything I got at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not bad mouth in, you know, Long Valley, that area. It, it's just, there's no venues there. Um, so like when I grew, while I was growing up, the closest thing that I even knew of was Starland Ballroom. Mm-hmm. And that's an actual like venue, venue. Yeah. So having a place where you can go to like there's stuff going on here every week having a place you can go to every week and see a show that's not necessarily even 21 plus that that blew my mind even finding out about that in january it was just like whoa that's awesome (laughs) so like it again i I love it i love having awesome yeah, when it comes to places like this, I'm kind of with Rich. It's just like I didn't even know there were places like this left. Where I'm from, there's there's no venues, there's no like real local scene, especially not for heavy music. It's a lot of um, like like that indie folk kind of stuff. So for me, I thought I was always going to have to you know go to the city to see shows. I thought I was going to have to go see the bands I liked when they came around. I always wanted to seek out local music. I didn't know how to find it. And then getting involved with this, I it was really like oh wow, this is really amazing. It just 
a place like Champs, it's just awesome that the, what they do for artists, what they do for us, what they do for the scene. I mean, really can't thank them enough personally and, and just for what they do for everyone. Awesome. And before Drew begins, <laughs> I'm going to speak for Jeremy here because one thing he did say to me, um, and this was right, right before the January show, he looked at me and went, dude, I never thought about this, but I'm part of New Jersey's underground metal scene. I'm part of the underground metal scene. This is awesome. <laughs> like he, he, he grows up, he lives 10 minutes from me. Um, and we're about an hour and a half away. So like he's pretty much in the same boat where it was just like, it was an eye opener for him. Um, and well, I can't specifically speak for him, but I, given that statement, I can say that it, I'm pretty sure he likes it too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think he does. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it comes here every week, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, growing up in this area, I mean, we had the myth. Well, not even the myth necessarily, but it was just like the uh, the legend of City Gardens, and that was always a thing. It's like five minutes from my house, Megadeth played, SOD played, suicidal, everything. It's like it was so close but so far. And they shut down in 94 before I had a chance to go there. Because I was born in 84, so I was 10 years old when they actually shut their doors. Uh, we didn't have anything around here at all. Uh, it was all VFWs, uh, fire halls. So it was pretty much a complete DIY ethic. And a lot of people, unfortunately, would ruin it. So it's like it takes that one bad apple to spoil the whole bunch before like the fire marshal's like, you know what, enough of this. We just, somebody just punched a hole in this wall. We're not going to have shows here anymore. And... That's what kept happening. But um, if we wanted shows, we had to make it happen. Like I used to uh, be a volunteer firefighter at Slackwood Firehouse. And um, I ran a couple shows out there. No problems whatsoever. Uh, we had it all contained within the inside. No alcohol issues, because it was an all ages thing. And uh, the cops were just right outside waiting for something to happen at the last show. And it's like, okay, nothing bad is gonna happen. We have all the smokers inside, because at the time the smoker smoking law uh, was still indoors, so we didn't have to worry about re-entry, people trying to run out to the cars, bring alcohol and anything like that. But it just was like, this is great, because we had a sense of community going on, but it was a struggle, because yeah. there's nothing going on at all, like there's no venues whatsoever, like a venue proper. Like when we, most people, they would just bring out like the practice PAs. When we ran the shows, we actually rented um, a PA from a sound man, had sound man come in, it's like 500 bucks expense, but we wanted to make it like an event. So it's like every single show we did, it was like going to see a club show. And it was like a 500 capacity uh, fire hall too. So it was like, this is great. We can do whatever we want in that sense. Really make it something special, blossom into something special. Of course, Lawrence Township decided to put the ax in that pretty quick because like, oh yeah, we're not gonna do live music anymore. Because of, uh, there was a um, situation gone wrong, unfortunately, at a neighboring firehouse. But can't blame them. Mm -hmm. you know, they're just looking out for themselves 100% at that point. So, having this is astronomical. Mm. It's like I would love, love, love to have this growing up, and having it now, I'm blessed. It's like ten minutes away from home. <laughs> it's like okay, I can go see a show and be in bed by eleven thirty. This is awesome. Well, <laughs> you, no, that's the hour and a half drive. <laughs> exactly. If I still have loaded, if I'm not loaded, you're home. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> But it's just so nice actually having this in this community here because it's very eclectic. Even like um, the Millville basement, they have a lot of stuff going on over there too. Where it's like okay, they're more of like the um, the punk and the indie rock type of stuff going on there, while this is more of like the heavier realm. 
but they still cross over. Mm -hmm. Even like 449 room that closed down, what about uh, eight years ago or so, give or take, I think, it was the same thing where it's just a mixture of everything. And kids were always out. Mm -hmm. Now there's nowhere for kids to go except for here. And a lot of parents don't feel safe coming here, letting their kids come here just because of the parking situation. Mm -hmm. While 449 room was in a worse area, but they had a parking lot. Yeah. So it's like, that's unfortunately like the biggest problem I'd say with here right now, unfortunately, is just because of the parking. And I understand that because parents are like, okay, well, we don't want little Johnny wandering around the exactly. block, you know? <laughs> exactly. They're in the city. Exactly. But like, kids will get dropped off, no problem. To, to, to go on that point, my dad, same freaking way. And it's like, you're, you're going down a Trenton road. <laughs> dad, dad, you need to come with me to see this. No, I'm not going anywhere. Dad. <laughs> and honestly, this place is so much better now than it was when uh, Terry Loda first started doing shows here. And it was just like, you'd be outside at 2 p.m. and you kind of like walk it around a little bit. Nowadays, you can just go outside, no problem, hang out, and not fear anything. <laughs> like we were before. Yeah, like even like you walked out, you have somebody walking down the street before, it's like, okay, are they going to try to panhandle? And now it's just like, they say hello. It's like the community around here really banded together to, it's like, you know what, we're all living here. Let's make it a better place. And, and that's another shout out to uh, Nikki Drew and the rest of the folks who live here and who come here. Um, when I, whenever I do anything here, whether it's library boxes, a block party, a burlesque show, a drag show, whatever it is, um, I always tell people this is more of a community gathering place, like a community center mm -hmm. that happens to have alcohol. <laughs> because that's not that is the best community center I've ever seen in my yeah, life. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's just amazing. I mean, the fact that <clears throat> any given time here, you can see a national act, a quality act, all different genres. There's an amazing selection of menus from local restaurants that are supportive of what's happening here. Or you could walk to get coffee at a national spot, or you know, another venue down the street, another you know. Quickie Mart or whatever with the air quotes, but but this There's is enough little businesses opening up around here too. Exactly, this, this one just this opened. Is, this is awesome. I think a couple weeks ago actually, right? Exactly. But um, final question, and yes. then we're going to finish up. What would you like to say to the folks um, who have children who want to get into music? And you know, I'm a parent, and oftentimes parents, if you guys don't have kids. We kind of think like, like, oh my God, if Johnny does this, they're going to do it for the rest of their life. Whereas, no, why can't they just grab a, uh, an instrument, learn the instrument, and let it evolve how they want it to be? Yeah. Whether they want to be a musician or they just want to have a hobby. So just talk about, and Rich, I'm going to start with you first. Uh, you you like might not want to. <laughs> like the importance of having the support. Um, of your parents or, or other people around you as a young person with music? Um, well, this actually has a little bit of a story behind it. Um, my, my mom was extremely supportive. I started playing in 2007, actually, when I turned 15. Um, was, it, was I 15? I think I was 15. I don't know. It is, but she bought me... Um, I was actually playing a game, uh, a game called Rock Band, and uh, I, can, I can never forget this, the song Run to the Hills. By Iron Maiden, I, I played the bass track in that, and I was like, this is awesome, I wanna learn bass. And I talked to my mom about it, she was just like, you know, that, 
all right, are you sure you want to do this? Because, I mean, if you're going to spend that much money or I'm going to spend that much money to get you a base and you're going to just put it down in a month, then why do it? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yeah, this is, it's awesome. I'll just do it as a hobby for now. Um, started a band a couple, couple of months later and it kind of went from there where uh, I ended up getting booted out of that band because I was, the, you know, kind of inexperienced at the time and, you know, they, they ended up not doing anything, so. Mm-hmm. Guess it was a good thing, uh, but went on from there. Went into death metal, um, started playing that. Uh, then my parents were kind of raising a few eyebrows, but <laughs> you know. Um, then I kind of went into the speed metal thing and did that, and that's where really a lot of the support came in. Was after I started doing it more and more. Like yeah, as I said, I'd like to do this for life if I could because that's living the dream right there, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Um, but realistically I had gotten to the point um, because after the last band I was in basically blew apart at the seams I was at a point where it was in the area I live it's so hard to get anything with the heavy metal aspect going because of just how many people are into different things that it turned into a hobby for me and even then my mom was still supportive of it my dad was still supportive of it and they were like you doing anything anymore or my dad was asking me about that or people that knew us were asking about that I was just like, yeah, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, and then got the call from Jeremy, and they were hand, full on support Great. from there. And it was just, it's, it's a phenomenal feeling knowing that they're, they, they're there for me if, you know, if I need guests, might come down here and do a show. They're like, here, take this much. You're, you're on your own for then <laughs> if I need it. Gotcha. And, and that's, it's a phenomenal feeling knowing that. So, to answer your original question, yes. It is a very important thing having them on board. <laughs> Great. Bar- Barbara? Yeah, for me, my parents, as well as just my whole family in general, they're the biggest fans that I have. I honestly don't think I would be, be able to do half of what I've done without their support. When I was younger, I started singing when I was four years old, and my parents would push me to sing them. My dad used to sing karaoke tracks with me. And uh, as I got older, it just kept you know pushing with that, like, you know, sing, you have a nice voice. and. You know, no matter what genre I was doing, they were always so supportive of me. Uh, you know, came out to shows. When I was in one of the bands I was in when I was 16, my mom used to drive me and she'd sit outside the rehearsal studio with a book and wait for me to come out. <laughs> um, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, you know, she, they just, you know, they're, uh, anything I've done, they're always like, this is my daughter, Barbara, you know, listen to her. She's, you know, she's doing this. And when it came time for me to decide what, what college uh, major I wanted to do, they were when I was discussing. I was like, "Oh, I think I'm going to do uh, Japanese." I was studying it at the time, and they're like, "You're not doing music." And I was <laughs> like, "Oh, he's like, you guys think?" He's like, "Yeah, you should do music." My grandmother was upset. She's like, "You need to do music." Clams <laughs> <laughs> got in on the deal. Oh, what man. are you talking about? <laughs> and so that's why I was like, "I guess I'm doing music." And I was I was doing opera for a time, and they're like, "You're not doing metal." And I'm like, <laughs> Grams is throwing them up. Like, what's going on here? Oh, man, you, when Grandma gets in on it, you got it. That's right. <laughs> the line has been drawn. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, um, I stopped doing the, the opera at the time because of the nodes. And when I got healed up and I was like, what should I do now? They're like, you have to do metal again. They're like, you love it, you know, and it's just it's where you belong. I wasn't as happy doing opera. So, you know, it's, it's nice, but... There's so much more freedom on stage, uh, you know, performing metal. I, I can be anything I want to be. I'm not restricted to a role. So, my parents 
really fostered that sense in me of you just go out there, you know, give them what you've got, go out there with your message, you know, you're not a hundred dollar bill and that everyone's gonna like you. Just do what you gotta do, you know, win them over, so. <laughs> Dang. Thank you. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Dang. Drew? A uh, little touch and go with it because um, musical household yet again, but um, at a very young age, my mother taught both me and my sister how to play piano. Got into the violin and uh, tenor saxophone in, um, I think it was like the fourth, fifth grade, give or take. Yeah. <laughs> I'm counting right now. <laughs> so um, with that, it's like they loved it. They got behind it 100%. And um, my uncle had an old uh, Ludwig drum set. I, as I had mentioned before, I always loved the drums. That was always my go-to thing. And always wanted. Uh, when he had um, gotten divorced, he had um, stored some stuff at our house. And one of which was his drum set. So it's like, okay, this is great. 12 years old, finally got it. Uh, got a guitar before that too and all that crap. But um, <laughs> uh, so with the drums, it was, why don't you play more sax? Why don't you play more violin? He's like, play some more jazz, you know, stuff like that. It's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> and they were supportive, don't get me wrong too, with the um, having the band practice at the house. But it, it got to the point where the noise level was too extreme and one of the bassists in the band had a huge bass rig where literally like glasses were vibrating. <laughs> it's like it got to the point it's like you guys gotta go to the garage and then it got to the point it's like you guys gotta go to the rehearsal studio. And I was about seventeen at the time. It's like how am I gonna afford this? <laughs> so maybe something happened. I'm sorry? Eye opener. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got like three Marshall stacks in the basement. Like yeah, what's going on? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it got to the point of that and then um they were kinda like do with it blah 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 like not discouraging per se following the drums but it got to the point of when I finally had the backup plan established with a full-time career it's like okay and then they finally got behind it. it's like okay you have vacation time you can do this it's like they understood it's like I'm not just saying okay well I'm just gonna go out and make it it's like no I have plan B okay like my job allows me to be able to do this stuff and uh, undying support of my girlfriend million and a half percent she's there for everything, has ideas with stuff in general too. Like, uh, helped out with the uh, songwriting. It's like we'll sit there on weekends and uh, make merchandise, stuff like that too. Like sometimes that's our dates. <laughs> it's like okay, look, what can we do for this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, um, with regards to a message you had mentioned of, um, it's like oh well, well Johnny's playing the guitar. Will he do this forever? Like, but maybe it could be looked at as well Johnny's playing the guitar. He can do this forever. Nice. And it's like, my thing is, never tell him, never let anybody tell you you can't do anything. Whether it comes to music, anything in life. If it's your dream, it's your passion, if it's in your heart, go for it full speed. And nothing can stop you. Heck yeah. That's true. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I do want you to plug November 5th. Yes. Uh, November 5th is a fundraiser here at Champs. It's a Saturday night. Uh, one of our friends in the band Iron Front, uh, the guitarist Sean Lydon, he was just diagnosed with leukemia on his 28th birthday. Happy birthday! Yeah, it's like, to make matters worse, like he had been sick a few days before then, and it was just like, I'm gonna go get checked out, blah, blah, blah. And he goes in and that's the result. It's like, what's going on? You know, the, the worst news on the worst day possible to get it. So this was maybe two weeks ago. So we're organizing a fundraiser for him. 
try to get some money together because he's going to need it. I mean, he's an independent business owner, so I'm not sure what his situation is with regards to health insurance. I'm sure he has some, having employees and all, but on the other side of the coin, it's not going to last forever. It's not going to cover everything. So we're doing whatever we can to raise money for him. All proceeds are going to him. We're going to have a bake sale here. We're going to have a raffle. So everyone come on out. It's going to be at 931 Chamber Street, Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Saturday, November 5th, $10 suggested donation. Awesome. Minay Helion! Yeah! And also one other thing of note, too. Um, I'm sure you know the filmmaker Anthony Katniss. Mm -hmm. Tony Goggles? Yep, exactly. We're actually doing something with him. Nice. I don't know if you've heard of his recent film. Um, <laughs> let's, let's hold off on that. <laughs> and, um, folks, check the, uh, just check Tony Goggles out on social media and you can see all the different things that he's doing but i'm going to close this interview out here <laughs> midnight helion is doing something with tony goggles aka anthony cantonese filmmaker based out of trent new jersey and uh we'll go from there thank you guys thank for you your time much. thank you very much for having us awesome man. jacques howard on location at champs 931 chamber street trent new jersey